active Lubick is horrible. Holy fuck! No, I to get out of here! The face every time he was on screen. I hated get out of here! Character. It's 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 that James Mister Strickland Tolkien as the bulldog detective. Lubick. You can't you fucking can't terrible. hate on terrible performance. No. Terrible fucking character <laughs> all around. Get the utterly fuck out of here. This dude's, this dude's apparently never seen Back to the Future before. Mr. Strickland's amazing. He's perfect in this movie. Reprehensible. No, wrong. The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. I where I have oh, the no. power. Oh my! So he's really excited, guys. I think of all of the hashtag canon quarantine films that we've done, I am pretty sure that Justin is more excited for this one than he has been for any film in this series to date. I'm Nick, but Justin. Get in here. Just get in here and get it dirty. Just get us. Yeah, you can you can call me Beast Man tonight because I'm 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 Beast <laughs> Motherfucking Man. Oh my God in heaven! He said that I'm he excited. sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. Yeah, not the Beast. You are correct, Beast Man's. I hope. Ooh. You are correct, though. Um, this is probably the most excited I have been to talk about a movie since we've been doing the hashtag canon quarantine series. Cobra would probably be uh, a close second because that's another one of my favorite Stallone movies. But Saucy, he's here. He's here. I am, I am here. And you're, are you ready to talk about Dolph Lundgren's fucking greased up abs in this motherfucker? That's a lot of you. cum. You bet your biscuits I am. <laughs> yeah, baby, that's right. So Masters of the Universe tonight, you guys picked it. We're going to be talking about it. I knew it was going to win. There was no way there was, anything. As, I knew as soon as yeah, I put the nothing poll could up, beat it. there was no way that this movie was going to lose. Speaking of the poll, for next week, King Solomon's Minds won. <sighs> See, I was hoping it would be The Company of Wolves because that's a genuinely good movie, but... Me too. Me too. Oh, well. Me too. It, it oh, well. is what it is. Listen, I understand Chuck why... Norris, after, after weeks of me bashing Chuck Norris on the show, I was really expecting that Chuck Norris movie that's up in there to get more than the two votes that it got, but nobody wants to see that Chuck Norris movie, I guess. I, I don't know. Well, it's also not one of his best canon films at all. It's no Invasion USA, okay? <laughs> it's no Missing in Action, like, listen, it's a Chuck Norris movie, so by default, it's not good. So you can't say that you haven't watched them, I so can you don't know. It stars Chuck Norris. <laughs> I've seen him act before. Act. act. Were you one of those kids where their parents made you sit there on the weekends and watch fucking Walker Texas I did, Ranger? I did when you have were to watch up? episodes of Walker Texas Ranger in my youth. And as did I, yeah. man, that uh, that was certainly a show that was on the TV before. But Nick, he kicked old men. Every He'd episode, kicked like an old man. Every episode, every every single episode of that show was always exactly the same, too. It was like there was no <laughs> character growth or anything whatsoever. It was literally just him. Like there was some weird plot that he was involved in and it would just end with him just roundhouse kicking dudes. That was all it was. That was literally the entire show. It was just a vehicle to show Chuck Norris doing martial arts. 
And he looks damn, he looks damn good doing it too. I don't give a fuck. I like seeing him beat the shit out of old elderly men at the bar. <laughs> Kick that eighty-year-old's fucking ass. Kick that fucking walker from underneath him and watch him fall on the ground. <sighs> We're live, ladies and gentlemen, over on Twitch right now. So uh, if you're not subscribed or if you're not following us over on Twitch, remember the live stream for the Cure this year, as always, will be taking place over on Twitch at Twitch.tv/EpicFilmGuys. And right next to us, right next to the window over there. On Twitch, we are the movie podcast your mother warned you about because we want to see, you know, 80-year-old men get their asses kicked by Chuck Norris. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. I want to see a kid get decapitated. I want to see a kid get decapitated. Which one was the soundboard and which one was which one was not? Is there an echo in here? I only true tell. fans, only true fans will know. That's 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 very very true, very very true. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, hashtag Canon Quarantine. As long as the coronavirus quarantine endures, so too will this Canon film series in which we review the schlockiest of the schlock that has ever been released. Like we're talking films like Invaders from Mars, Avenging Force, Break Into, Electric Boogaloo. And now, Masters of the Universe, one of Justin's favoritest films ever. So, gentlemen, I think we, we can't, we can't, Justin's got blue balls the size of fucking Montana. So, we got to get in here and, and get this underway. How are you going to die? <laughs> every time I hear it, I, every there it time. is. People of Eternia, the war is over. My forces are victorious. The sorceress of Grayskull is my prisoner, and her powers are now joined with mine. Let this be my first decree. Those who do not pledge themselves to me shall be destroyed. The new age begins. This whole review, th- this whole review is just going to be Justin reciting all of the dialogue from this movie verbatim. Let from her memory, go. I'm sure. Let her go. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm so fucking ready for this. My face is so red in excitement. I'm and I'm not even drunk at all. I should I should just pound this whole drink. So I'm at least halfway there. But yes, this is Masters of the Universe, a movie that I grew up watching on a normal basis. I never owned it until I was an adult. This is a movie that my grandmother would let me rent from the local video king over and over and over again. I have no idea why someone didn't just get the point and buy it for me, but yes. Voice us. If there's anyone out there that lives under a rock that has never heard of Masters of the Universe or what this movie is, can you tell them what it's all about? Certainly. Uh, well, it's it's very loosely based upon the iconic toy line and cartoon series, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That helped defined, define, excuse me, the 1980s. Um, so a He-Man movie had spent years in development, um, but by the time the canon group bought the rights and began production, both the figures and the cartoons were well past their popularity. And so Masters of the Universe was released in the year 1987, uh, by which point Canon was in pretty dire financial shape at this point, um, having suffered devastating losses on such 
flops as over the top. And Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. And Masters of the Universe was one of Canon's last-ditch efforts to create a blockbuster to compete with the major studios at the time. So, um, yes, we open on Planet Eternia, where the forces of evil, led by Skeletor, played by Frank Langella, have seized the Castle Grayskull, which is realized in uh, exterior shots as a very impressive matte painting and in interior shots as, I think, an equally impressive throne room set. And I feel like these must have been where a majority of the budget must have gone, I'd imagine. Although in the opening 10 minutes alone, the exact same establishing shot of the castle is used, so it doesn't take long for you to see that <laughs> they, just they were the cutting corners. <laughs> they, they were cutting corners wherever they could in the production, so you notice that straight away. But Skeletor has captured the peacekeeping sorceress and is planning on harnessing her magical powers in order to bring an eternal darkness to Eternia and become master of the universe. And then we're treated to a main title sequence that in uh, no way, shape, or form reminds one of the main title sequence from Richard Donner's Superman, the movie. Um, not in terms of the titles themselves and certainly not in terms of the music. I mean, you guys didn't get a sense that this movie... Let's make this clear. In any way resembled Superman the movie, did you? Let's make this clear. That had been aped a number of times up until this point. It definitely apes it again. And while Bill Conti's score is definitely John Williams-esque, I think it's a brilliant fucking score, and it's I think it's amazing. I literally love that score with all of my heart. It definitely is aping everything we love about John Williams. But the great Danny Elfman said something that really resonated with me leading up to him trying to score Batman. He said when he approached doing Batman, there was only two ways to do it, the traditional way and the John Williams way. And he had to figure out a way to do it differently because no one else was doing anything else at that time. Either there's the Jerry Goldsmith, there was the Horners, but there was a specific sound to 80s scores for action adventure motion pictures and that's what this is and i I think that he adds enough originality to this thing to make it his own but well the score does a lot of heavy lifting (laughs) because i feel like it's so bombastic and it's so um i I mean it's it's like it just gets you in the mood for adventure and excitement think about how the film opens uh this is one of my favorite things about it the film jumps right in It knows who it's made for. It's made for kids that are sitting there that have a low attention span. So they're like, let's jump right in. The movie just literally blows up and Skeletor is stomping in the throne room like a badass, crashing Mm. his fucking goat staff into the floor with that swelling score with the bright horns glaring into the the speakers. So the movie, yeah, I mean, correct. The movie looks, well, let's not beat around the bush here. The movie looks spectacularly cheap. And we'll talk about it later on. Um, the The movie is fairly small in scale. So I feel like the music does a great job in making the movie feel like it has more grandeur than it actually than it actually. Well, keep has. in mind, this movie was made on a budget of $22 million. And even in circa 1987, for a big action spectacle like this, that's a, that's a slightly small budget for that. And that for canon, that's a huge budget, though. The biggest, I think. Wasn't yeah. it their most expensive movie? I'm pretty they, sure so, at the time, yeah. So, so how, this was supposed to be their Star Wars. This was supposed to be their um, 
you know, their magnum opus, so to speak, uh, which is kind of hilarious when you actually watch the movie. But um, Nick, what did you think of Masters of the Universe? Because you've been very quiet over there. Come on. We're all waiting to hear it. So you mentioned you mentioned Superman, you mentioned Star Wars and everything. And and, and I think that I have I have a lot of big problems with this movie. And and one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is that it really does feel like a cheap kind of B-movie pastiche of a lot of things we saw in other blockbuster movies in the 70s and 80s, where none of it even really feels original like there's definitely just things that are just clearly just taken straight from star wars and the empire strikes back in this movie and even jedi like it's just like there's just those terrible elements of it there's like the you you mentioned the score i don't even remember the score for this movie and i just watched it two goddamn hours ago like i i I didn't even register with me did not even register with me whatsoever i just like like I love Dolph Lundgren in it. I love Frank Langella in it. I I love a lot of elements of it. I love actually like the costume work. I think is great for the most part. Uh, I think there's a couple of 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 stark examples where it doesn't work for me. But you know a lot of the costume work and even you know Loisas, you did mention that the film does look remarkably cheap. I don't disagree, but I think for what they were trying to do budget wise and knowing canon as I have been coming to know them over these past weeks doing the quarantine. Like, I expect it to look like this, so it's not really a surprise that it looks like this. So for what it is and for what they spent on it, I don't think it looks bad production design-wise. But it's it's not good. It's it's <laughs> it's it's so far. Wrong. It's, Wrong. Everything about it is so fucking far from good. It's just, it's just, like, for every good character in this movie, for every, like, you know, menacing baddie or, like, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man just doing his hero shtick and... And whatever, and even Courtney Cox is just Courtney Cox in it, so you know she's she's not bad. But like for every good character, like of those, like of of that ilk, you, there's just there's so many terrible characters in this movie that are so fucking grating every time they're on screen. That literally, literally, like if I had a fucking like tire iron next to me at the table when I was watching it, I would have started bashing my brains and watching it. Like it, okay. that's a little extreme. I'm sorry, but Justin. That, that, that's, I'm sorry. That, that's a little too much. Listen, no, listen. It's, it's not too much. And, and, and I know you love this character, so I don't fucking care. But that little dwarf fucking thing, that Gwilly door Gwildor thing. Gwilly is amazing. It fucking well, thing okay. is so <laughs> terrible. It's I knew you were going to hate awful. that. Well, listen, we're getting, we're getting a little costuming. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's so slow bad. down. Let's like, slow down. The the, the 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 costuming the prosthetics are so fucking bad that you can't understand what it's saying half the time because it's like it's like it it's clearly don't be don't like, be hate, don't be hating on any of the makeup ADR effects in this movie because because they're that, ter- terrible it's terrible no they're amazing the makeup Absolutely effects in this movie terrible. are top fucking notch one hundred percent they had so, they had some of the best people literally in Hollywood at that time doing the makeup work so. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Um, yeah, we're let, getting ahead of loy sauce. You gotta wait. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to bring it back around to the plot. But thank you, Nick, because I was very curious as to what See, you thought of this he, movie. This is what he likes to do. He wants to, and he's going to interject that plot as we we'll listen, go back we'll and listen forth here. and argue I, about the movie. That's how it's been structured. We t- we talk about the movie as we t- go Loy through. Sauce the- I like the it one that here way. Keeping us on the rails. He's the one that's keeping the structure in this thing. Dude, Listen, there should be no structure. It's scrambled as a motherfucker because that's how canon movies are. 
and I like it that way. Totally. No, I I, I expected some backlash from you. One night. No, I I, li- I literally thought Nick was going to come in here and be like, "Fucking best movie of the '80s, nine out of ten. No. Well, and no, you and, and you mentioned it. You mentioned it. I think it was. It might have been in the pre-roll, or it might have been before we started recording. But you mentioned that this is a movie for children, and one hundred percent why watching this movie as a child or i get why watching this movie in the 80s like with the nostalgia kind of built in there why this would still resonate for people if you're coming to this as an adult like i'm 40 years old this is not my movie anymore (laughs) this is not a movie that's made for me this is not a movie that's even remotely designed to appeal for me because it, it doesn't have the elements of even some of the other canon movies that we've watched so far for this series like an avenging force where it's got that kind of like no children get murdered filled action yeah no children get murdered i mean sorry Nick, Lois, are, sorry <laughs> don't you still have the potential to to be a child at heart don't don't you ever I have that sense of kid get strangled that sense of childlike wonder when you're watching a movie this motherfucker's heart is stone he's like the grinch all up in this motherfucker <laughs> well at any rate um saucy so, let's, let's let's go ahead let's hear it from you though like you could we can continue on with i've watched this movie with you i think more than once we actually watched it together because you hosted you? a screening of it at alamo draft house a few years ago that's correct so um that was one of the more memorable uh film club experiences that I've had because it was a 30th anniversary screening. I wouldn't say it was a packed house necessarily, but there were obviously very passionate fans there. Um, the afternoon prior, or, you know, the afternoon of the screening, I uh, ha- went on a successful date with an incredibly sexy woman. So, um, you know, I was coming off of a high. I hosted Masters of the Universe. I watched this amazing movie on the big screen. And at the end of the movie, people stood up and cheered and clapped. You know why that is, don't you? Because the movie was finally over and they were so happy (laughs) that it was over. They were like jumping out of their seats. No, no, it happened because I started a standing ovation. That's why. And yes. And I I mean, it. so if a movie can inspire that that kind of energy and that kind of um, fan reaction and passion and uh, it can get an audience to stand up and clap. Um, I think there's something to be said for that. It's, um, you know, it, it has this quaint charm about it. It's, it's really adorable because it's really trying and I give it credit for that. I, I, I don't think it's a poorly made it movie. It is I definitely think- trying. I, I, I cannot take that away from it. It is definitely trying to be a thing. Yeah, and I think for the most part, I mean, we'll we'll get to we'll get to this down the line. But the budget is severely limiting to the movie's potential. I would I feel agree. Like, I, I feel like if the movie were able to um, <laughs> were able to promise on its ambition, like if it were able to uh, be able to reach its grasp, so to speak. There were several times think- it, watching the movie when I, when I kind of had this this thought to myself where I was like, you know what, if this hadn't been a Canon film, if this had been in the hands of a bigger studio with a bigger budget, maybe you replace half of the cast with people who can actually act, you know, then you probably would have actually had something that like really could have been a huge franchise machine on your hands. Exactly. And if you took a look at the concept art and some of the pre-production sketches, I mean, it's pretty spectacular 
what oh, this man. movie well, you, what you, 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 you mentioned the is, map painting you know the map painting of castle grayskull like that's a great map painting but they, they, there's actually some good like map painting work in this film and you know like where they're having to you know replace green screen elements and things of that nature like there's for for its budget for what it had to work with there actually is some good stuff and i mean you think about like like in terms of like the laser gun effects and like the magic effects that skeletor uses and like those kinds of things like none of that stuff i don't think any of that stuff looks bad necessarily it's aged very it's aged very well and yeah. actually because it was all done on 60 i believe 65 millimeter um even on the blu-ray you can tell that um I mean, it still holds up. Yeah. The problem is the first 20 minutes of the movie take place on Eternia and the last 20 minutes take place on Eternia, but we have all of the shit in the middle. So that's really the problem that the movie has. So, so and, um, yeah, and that's obviously according to the budget, that's what they decided to do. This was a trend that almost kind of started with this movie, which is like, the, oh, we can't we can't focus on having the movie all at Eternia. We don't have the budget for that. Let's take it to Earth. And we can shoot on location for much cheaper. Yeah. I mean, this movie came at a time when Mattel had already lost a bunch of money. This was their worst year ever in toy sales for Masters of the Universe. The cartoon had already run its course out of the way. And Canon gave the best bid to Mattel to make the movie. Mattel was hoping that this movie would be a resurgence for the toy line. The cartoon would start doing, you know, doing reruns and it would, it would start banking more money. Canon's deal was we'll make the movie. You put your first half up up front. So they decided to do like a half up front deal. Mattel put up half up front. Then halfway through production, Canon ran through all that money. And Canon said, we don't have any money to give. Put up the other half. And Mattel did. Because Canon was fucking broke by this point. No one knew that they were already going under like horribly. So they took a bet on something they didn't even they knew they couldn't even make in the first place. That that's the problem to a brand that should have made this movie three years earlier when the toy line was doing fucking gangbusters and every kid on the planet for the most part was buying a Castle Gray Skull, a Battle Cat, Play and set. a He Man figure. You know what I mean? Yeah. That and you have to understand when this movie came out. There's a lot of reasons why it didn't do well. One of them is the fact that if you ask any hardcore fan of the cartoon, which I am not, I grew up, I had a Castle Grayskull and a few figures, but it was, it was, that was before my time. The movie's almost nothing like the cartoon, which I'm going to get some heat for this, but out of all the 80s cartoons, the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon sucks. It sucks. It's it poorly animated. Yeah, it's poorly animated. It's just it's very cheap and bad. Um, hey, and the the best thing so I can say about this Transformers, but but I mean that's besides no the point. Transformers is was done with amazing animators. So we're not even going to talk about that. It's totally different. <laughs> the best thing I can say about this movie is that there's no Prince Adam. There's yes. no there's there's no yeah. foppish uh, pink pink wearing uh, uh, guy who says you know. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held held aloft my magic sword and became He Man. And you have to understand. You have to it's understand. It's just He Man. There's no Prince Adam. There's Mattel no Prince Adam. It's movie. just He Man. 
They wanted this movie, but they had a list of things you could or couldn't do. They had veto rights on this movie, which is fucking hilarious to think about, considering the fact that they should have looked at what Canon Films was making leading up to this. Did they not look and see like, oh, these are the kinds of movies that this company is making? Um, Because when they sat down and, and I give a lot of credit here to director Gary Goddard, who up until that point had not directed a major motion picture and has since only directed things that have to do with like theme park attractions. I think he directed the hell out of this, but in the meetings, he's like, they're like, He-Man can't hurt anybody. He-Man can't kill anybody. That's why we have like the Centurion robot troopers that He-Man gets to blow up and hit with the sword and beat the shit out of. And, you know, because and people, you know, obviously claim that it's a Star Wars ripoff, but they put those in there so He-Man could actually do something because they're like, He-Man walks around with a sword the entire movie. What's he going to do if he can't beat somebody up? They literally told him, you can't have him hurt a human being because they didn't want the image of He-Man tarnished. So the uphill battle that director Gary Goddard had to go up to make this movie in the first place is insane when you think about it. I think he did a great job considering you know, yeah, cons- 100%. All- well, yeah. that and Dolph was already attached to this movie. He had no control over that. He had no creative say in that. Dolph was just coming off of Rocky Four. He was a huge success with that movie. But it's not like he has any lines of dialogue in fucking Rocky Four. You know, there's like this this urban legend that Sly Stallone came on the set of Masters of the Universe and he walked onto the set and he looked up at Dolph reciting a line and he said to Gary Goddard, he said, you gave that guy lines. <laughs> he had a very yeah, thick is. accent. You can hear the accent. We'll get into Dolph in a little bit. There's a whole backstory with that. But I mean, this movie, like I said, was never going to win over the public's love or anything. Again, it came too late and it was not the movie that Masters of the Universe fans of the show wanted. This week in epic film history. Why the fuck did the Russos decide to go with this post-apocalyptic aesthetic? Half of the people on the planet still leaves 4 billion fucking people on the planet. And they shoot this whole fucking thing like it's a ghost town. Like there's nobody anywhere. Like everything is post-apocalyptic. They deserted and there's nobody anywhere. Like there's still 4 billion people on the planet. It's not abandoned. Yeah, there's a lot less people, but... It's st- it's not abandoned. Like you're still gonna have major cities with millions and millions of people, and there's just wholesale, just like, like giant, like parking lot graveyards and like empty. But everything. to be fair, Nick, that's one scene. They actually, and this is one of the things that I. But had that's to one say of the that things that took me out of it from the very beginning, and, and I hated like, that setup. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little off the walls here. I'm gonna say Mad Max Fury Road. It takes place in Australia, and I love you, Paul and Wayne, but how about good old Fosters? Australian it's Australian for beer. For beer. I, and apparently, 
according Mel to... Mel Gibson, Australian for... <laughs> Jew hater. <laughs> Australian for anti-Semite. If someone asks you, hey, should I go see Endgame? You're saying, eh, no. wait till it comes out on DVD. You know. I, what, what he's saying, Kevin, is not to watch it at all, which is yeah. totally wrong. I disagree. I, I think it makes as many mistakes as it as it makes leaps forward and strides and, and, and great things. But the whole point is... Uh, never mind. I refuse to rate it. it. I refuse to combine everything together and, 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 and rate it based just on the spectacle. I refuse... To, because it stroked my fan boner and gave me great moments that I thought were really, really great, I can't just give it a great rating. I can't ignore the flaws that the film has for me watching it as a viewer. I can't do it, and I won't. Five out of ten. You can for other movies, but you can for other movies. So I'll leave that aside. I'll, I'll shut up. But you can for other movies when you can justify it based on what you want to do in order to give the rating you want to give, you can do it, and you have done it. There's not nothing to do this with this one. movie. Because, because you're being this, this especially movie. harsh on it because of the movie that it is. No, End of story. It's di- yep. it just yep. didn't yep. work I'll for me. I'll find examples. I'll bring it up next week. I'll bring it up next week. It, it's I'm allowed gonna, to just not work for me. Like, that's that's the thing. Like that's th- Nick, that's Nick. That's fine. I, I, I really admire that you're sticking to your guns on this because it is a, a, a movie that everyone is kind of expected to love. I, I but like you have to love it. Five out of ten is bullshit. Five five out of ten. I, that is like a not recommend. Deal like, with it. Okay. Have you ever decided to do another run like you? You know how you used to do your runs. You used to go on like those races and shit. It'd be funny if you did a whole race and like just put Patrick Swayze in like the back of your shirt or something, so he was facing everyone behind you. If there was anyone behind I think, you, well, no, there wouldn't be. <laughs> I'd, be I'd be bringing up the ass end. If you know, it, it would get the women. If there were any women that were trailing behind me to run a lot faster when they stare into those gorgeous, gorgeous black and white eyes that he has, he's dreamy. It's goddamn right. They're thinking back. They're they're thinking back to their teenage years or their high school years in the eighties. It's the only reason anybody fucking likes Dirty Dancing is because they all want to be baby, and they all want to be swept off their feet by some fucking hunky muscular fucking dance instructor out in the middle of the goddamn woods in the summer. That's why. Continuing on. So the only ones to stop Skeletor are a ragtag crew of, of uh, Eternians led by He-Man, along with Man-at-Arms, Tila, and then of course the dwarf-like creature Gwildor, Nick's favorite character, obviously, who has invented a curious device uh, stolen by Skeletor's henchwoman, Evil Lynn, played by Meg Foster from Nick's favorite film, They Live. Um, called the Cosmic Key. Now, now, Nick, I, I'd love to get your opinion or your what you gleaned from the film of what the Cosmic Key is and does, because uh, it's a device that can open a doorway to anywhere. The details are very hazy. Um, so, Nick, what what is the Cosmic Key? <laughs> can you explain? It's it's a it's a a piano cylinder that plays music badly. It's it's all very it's all very you just have to kind of trust the dialogue and and just kind of throw it away and just kind of accept that it the that song it, that it makes is amazing. That it does what it does. Um, can, can I have can I have a special shout out for uh, for Chelsea Field as Tila in this movie because girl can fucking get it in that in that uh, Eternian outfit costume yeah man skin tight baby true god um, in heaven uh yeah but uh yeah it's it's just a 
a, a key a, 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 that that does things and i mean that's like think about the prop though man here's it, the problem it's a that cool I have prop it. it opens up it does something cool though it's not like it's just like a piece of I feel like it's I feel like it's too complicated, like in terms of an actual like device or gizmo or like red herring in a film, as it were, like this just has way too many moving parts. It's like way too visually busy in terms of like it's like the bat suit of red herrings in 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 movies it's like i just like why wasn't it just like some simple dumb thing like they're obviously using a lot of other blockbuster films from like the 70s and 80s as inspiration why wasn't it just like a crystal like a superman movie or something like that like where you know yeah it could have just been something much more simple than that like they had to make it this ridiculous thing with all these like little hydraulic pieces little spinning moving parts and all this stuff it's like the prop is so cool it's it's way too visually like every time it was on I screen. I love the which sound is, that it makes. And here's here's one of the problems that I have with this movie. Here's one of the, the, the big, big problems I have with this movie. It's, it's the costume design, which I think looks great, but they obviously used a lot of metal on metal on metal. So, like, there's all these shots of Eternia, like, when Skeletor and the, and the troops are, like, marching through Castle Grayskull, and it sounds like somebody's just fucking, like, holding, like, like clanking chains together up to a microphone. It's like... <laughs> It's so fucking, it's so noisy. Like the Never movie itself <laughs> is so fucking noisy. It, it literally drove me nuts watching it because like it, it's drowning. And you guys are talking about the score and how much you love the score and everything. But like, I don't even hear a fucking score because it's drowned Nick, out. By I've, the to- fucking I've told noise, you this the before in the movie. I've told you this before. Something's wrong with your sound system at your house. No, I don't I know was what to tell these, you. Like literally these fucking headphones <laughs> right here when I was watching the fucking movie on my fucking computer. Like it's it's way too fucking noisy. Like all the well, metal Nick, armor and shit, like clanking and scraping and, and smacking together. It's it's it was too much, too goddamn well, much. Well, Nick, I dropped the uh, the MP3 of the score in the Epic Film Guys uh, drive, so you can feel free to download that and take a listen. We Good, all because we'll be using it. We'll be using that for a special thing we're going to have that's going to ha- come before this review. But yeah, so um, so yeah, Nick doesn't know how the cosmic key works. I don't know how the cosmic key works. It doesn't even seem like Gwildor knows how it works, and he invented it. Like when they're trying to escape. Uh, the throne room. He just using mashes. The key. It, he just mashes it with his palm, and it does a thing. Well, well, he says like it's working, it's working. I did it, and I'm like he's surprised. Listen, and then later on th- in the movie, and then later on th- in the movie when he's a he, when he's attempting to power it up, Tila asks him like Gwildor, how much longer is it going to take? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. know. And he's like, Well, shouldn't you know? You invented it. Listen, he's a Thenorian. They're they're of a peaceful race, and he doesn't like adventures. So leave that little motherfucker alone. But he does like a bucket of fucking fried chicken. So Certainly. and pink Cadillacs. Certainly. So so anyway, I, I guess Gwildor has another cosmic key. Um like a like a prototype that they use to escape an ambush by Skeletor's army, and he uses it to transport the heroes to the most boring location a movie like this could possibly take place, and that's Earth, where we meet um, Courtney Cox playing American Julie. teenager. Mm-hmm. Yes, Julie. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, excuse me, uh, Julie. Um, I just I just want to believe she's playing Monica Geller, and that you know after the events of this film, that's when she ends up moving to New York. <laughs> She, she she did a lot of stuff after this, but keep in mind, this is the first film role that she ever had. This was right after she did the Dancing in the Dark music video 
on the Bruce Bruce Springsteen video that actually, you know, gained her a lot of notoriety and a lot of fame from that. So, um, yeah, this was her first big movie and she will not talk about it. She refuses to talk about it. She will not sign it anything to do with this movie. If you ever bring it up, she may even possibly slap you. That's that's a story I've heard. It's nothing to from be the, embarrassed from, from, of. I think from, from, from so apparently David Arquette, who was married to her for the longest time, would joke with her about the movie a lot and, and kind of like bust her balls about it. And she hated it. But well, I'm I think, like, she's, actually I think she's really a, good, I think she's in good in the movie. Yeah, she yeah, is she's good in the movie and she's the, the adorable. Thing to is, look is like, at. It, I think she's she's just got that natural talent where like when she's on screen with with the Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Kevin, who's fucking atrocious. She's like acting circles around him the whole goddamn time he's on the screen. Like she's good. It's just it's not her fault that the movie doesn't give her much to do aside from be a damsel in distress. Like that's kind of like really the only thing is the script just kind of hamstrings her with that narrative but she i mean she does well enough in the role like she's charming she's gorgeous like she's you know i mean it's courtney cox i mean obviously she's always been just stunning she's the perfect 80s girl next door yeah 100 she's perfect she's she's great in the movie like she's uh, she's easily one of the best things about the movie like by far but why is she in it is my question i guess they i guess they wanted to have people all gotta start somewhere loy sauce well <laughs> Relata- no, I mean, relatability relatability i guess i guess they needed like instead of working on the characters of he-man and man in arms and like tila you could establish some character with them but they don't even try yeah so i guess that they needed makes to be fe- sad and so i guess they felt like they needed a earth like a like an 80s teen character like an audience to, surrogate pe- of, of yeah sorts. i guess for people to identify with but well, um, yeah and feels and feel sympathetic for i mean the whole movie she, she's moving away because she's blamed herself for her parents death in this plane crash you know if she hadn't if she had gone to the beach with her parents instead of studying which again it's writing her to be like the most utmost perfect student almost perfect person um yeah but i actually kind of like though? that though like, <laughs> well, with, here's the thing why not give he man a backstory why not give tila a backstory dude he's fucking he man have you did you see what dolph lundgren looks like in this movie yeah dudes are gonna yeah the girl you're bringing on the date to watch the movie is going to relate to him and his fucking thong and his oiled up muscles. If they tried the entire movie, (laughs) I don't listen. It's never happened since in a movie. I highly doubt it. And motherfuckers try to bring Thor into the equation. Like, Oh, well Thor, nothing like this. Not even close. Not the same thing. It's kind of like it. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not Uh, on a surface Uh, level. At least it's similar. No, it's not. It's but not, they managed the to thing. they managed to bring character depth and a character arc to Thor in the movie Thor. They could have done the same thing with He Man, and they did. Movie. But they did similar things. They brought him to fucking Earth. It's the same idea. It's the same they idea. But I'm saying in they comparison. understood that you they understood you had to do that in order to get him to be relatable. That I think but, is one of the biggest missed opportunities that I that that I think Lois Sauce is exactly correct. I just don't think they give. And maybe, maybe they just, uh, maybe it was a script thing where they just knew they had Lundgren attached. So they were like, we don't want to give him any heavy lifting to do. We just want him to look 100%, pretty in the costume. 100%. Or whatever. That's exactly. You know, it, yeah. It's just like, like He-Man is just kind of there. And like, it almost, uh, it, it, literally, it almost requires you to go into this with prior knowledge of the character to at least kind of flesh out some of that in your own head. Because he does literally nothing in nothing. this movie. Well, that's why the movie is called Masters of the Universe, universe and not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, because He-Man is like a secondary character in this movie. Yeah. 
listen, he's just we might as well just to the ride. We might as well just talk about him now and start dissecting all the elements of the movie. See, he was attached to the movie. He had done like a a, a, a two picture deal with Canon. He had a strong accent at the time. And when the movie was finished, they actually had another actor come in and dub over all of his lines. Now, Dolph had in his contract that he got to do it twice. I apparently like the first try of him doing the ADR for his voice was horrendous. And everyone involved was like, except for Canon, like Golan and Globus were like, no, we need to, we need to get somebody else in here. Apparently there's like a pitch fucking perfect dub where an American actor came in and did the voice and it sounded amazing. And everyone wanted to go with it except for Golan and Globus. And they were like, nope, he, he gets one more try in his contract and his second ADR session, he did decent enough. And that's what you hear in the movie. But he was there for his body. Make no mistake. He was there because he was yeah. the dude from Rocky four because he looks, he was he tall. Looks the part. He, he looks was the muscular. Part. He looks fucking amazing. You have to give the man credit because number one, he thought doing the project in the first place was silly uh, doing a comic book character or a, a cartoon character in the 80s at that point leading up to, you know, Tim Burton's Batman was not something that people looked at as, you know, an honor like they do now. Like, oh, I'm going to play a Marvel character or I'm going to play Superman or I'm, you know, people now. It's the it's like the Holy Grail if you do that. But back then it was looked down upon uh, in this case, right. everyone involved. No one really wanted him there. He was there. He had to be there. So they had to work around that. You know what I mean? But I think he does a really good job of being the action hero that he's supposed to be. He beats dudes asses in style uh, and he wears the outfit with pride. I mean, he looks awesome. He looks imposing. That's literally all he's really supposed to do. Let's face it. The character of He-Man in the cartoon is one note at fucking best. There's not much you can get. There's not much depth at all you can get yeah, out of there's, that. There's not a lot of depth to that either. And I mean, I, I would. I mean, I would I'm not take saying they can't. With... I'm not saying that you can't write it better than that. But guys, this movie opens with a canon logo. See, you already know. You already know that nine times out of ten, you're not going to get a well written lead character, especially if it's a hero. See, I just I can't with, with the idea that that, that he, you he going beats down? a bunch of dudes' asses because the fight choreography and the editing in this film of the fight scenes is terrible. It's I disagree. Horrible. You are you are blind if you're watching this and you think that fight choreography and that editing is good. It's god awful. I think it's fine. Shots cut in weird fucking places. Like it's it's way too fucking cutty. It like it, it's it's just not good. Cutty. Especially that's a word now. Coming cutty. Off of films like avenging force like where everything's in camera like you're getting long action takes and you're getting like that in camera action choreography this is cut 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 and like like we'll get to like the final battle between he and skeletor and like different things like that later in the movie where it's it's so overly choreographed and then it's also just (laughs) obliterated to shit in the editing room it's like they tried to turn it into something and it's it reminded me of movies like resident evil like the later resident evil movies when they're literally trying to cut around Miliovovich just not being able to do the stunt work like she could in the earlier movies anymore yeah i mean i agree with you nick somewhat i don't necessarily have a problem with the um choreography or the editing necessarily um I think, first of all, the fact that all of the fight scenes, 
nearly all the fight scenes take place in extremely unexciting locations. Um, because it's on Earth, these these like battles a, like are, a music store, yeah, like a music <laughs> store or like a high school gymnasium, an empty high school gymnasium. Like they're decorating for the school dance. Why not have the the henchmen come in and attack the school dance and have? But that would require a bunch of extras. That would require um, you know money. 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 Um, but like you have, you have, you have chases that take place in like a dingy alley. You have a, like a, a, a confrontation in someone's apartment. And that's not what I want to see when I see a He-Man movie or a fantasy movie in general, an action fantasy movie. You go for escapism. You go because you want to see, um, exciting things on screen. So I think the action scenes are competently shot, but the problem is they're all shot in these really, really tiny sets, really cramped quarters. So the audience is not given a true sense of placement in the setting. And as a result, the movie feels very claustrophobic, very small in scale. Uh, there's a scene where they're running down the alley and then it cuts back to the, to the, uh, to the villains chasing them and it cuts back to them and they're running down that same patch of alley there's no there's no forward motion and there's no um it's just like they had that one tiny set or that one street to work with and so i i think it has more to do with that where the camera is so close to them because they only have so much set you know to shoot them against yeah they literally have like a 15 foot long alley and that's 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 literally it and i mean like the gun battle stuff is like it's i don't think that stuff it's is really looks. bad i i think it's i think the i think the more egregious parts are, are the the hand-to-hand combat portions i just i just don't think they're they're good not even measured up against stuff from the day because like i said we watched avenging force like the hand-to-hand combat stuff in avenging force is great like i i i love that like this stuff like like with him like there's that one early in the movie like when they're still on Eternia, like it's 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 early early in the movie you know when, when they have that uh i think what it's when they're trying to save gwilly door thingy that that fucking orange troll thing you know his name is fucking Gildor. get it right get it right they're trying to save him and the, the, there's that action sequence when they assault you know skeletor's troops and stuff it just it cuts so many times it's just you can't even tell what the hell's going on i it's it's awkward it's bad it, it's just it's it, not a boring movie you about can, it you was can just clearly see everything that's going on everything about well, it was just terrible to me like it, it it reminded me you know honest to god you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of like a nolan action scene like in batman begins like it's that like it's all close-up shots that are cut together really really quickly so it's 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 meant to mask the fact that it's just badly choreographed and badly shot like that's let's that's what it played as to me but we, we can move on from the action stuff now we don't no, have to no we're gonna we're gonna much. move on to that we're gonna move on to the centerpiece of this movie we're gonna move on to the thing we that already talked about Chelsea choke. Field as Tila in that costume. No, no, no. <laughs> We're going to talk about the thing that this movie didn't deserve, and that's Frank Langella's Skeletor. Frank Langella considers this performance, this in this movie, his favorite of his entire career. He was sought after for this movie by director Gary Goddard, and luckily, luckily the production got him to connect to this character and have a passion for this character. He gives what could have been a cartoonish, over-the-top villain performance a very beautiful Shakespearean twist. I mean, he's spouting off this dialogue like he's quoting fucking Shakespeare, and he's doing it with, at times, a subtlety and a nuance, 
And it's fucking amazing. <laughs> like when you watch the, the scenes. The word you're looking for, Justin, is gravitas. <laughs> yes. And it's beautiful. <laughs> I fucking love this. And he, and he did it all because at the time, his son was a huge He-Man fan. He was a young boy. And he said, much much like when Russell Crowe decided to be Jor-El in Man of Steel, a lot of times actors are like, well, I have these kids. I want to do a role they can come see. You know, I want to have a role that they'll be proud of dad for doing. And Langella did this, and I, I think it's amazing. I literally think it's one of the best villain performances of any 80s movie ever. Like, he literally, the, the costuming, the makeup, everything about it, like, his presence has felt so much over the entire movie. And Gary Goddard knew this. He knew that when he started watching dailies, he's like, he decided to start shifting the focus. If you notice this, Nick, the movie's not, it's more about Skeletor and, and yeah. his his it's, attempt to... Yeah. to take Skull than He-Man because they're like, well, we need to, you know, focus on what the actual quality is and it's Langella's performance. And that's, I mean, and not to take away from Langella's performance because that was one of the things that when people talked about this movie and when I'd heard people think about this movie going into this, everybody talks about Langella's performance. Everybody is always, what, and, and I don't think anybody's wrong about it. I think he's great in the movie. He's deliciously over the top. Like, like, to that point where it's 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 great that he's chewing on it that much and he's delivering it like i said with that gravitas it's great the i think the biggest problem well one of the biggest problems that the movie has though is that you like he-man as a result he-man by comparison is extraordinarily bland like they just don't get like lundgren like he looks the part. He absolutely does. I love the He-Man costume. I think it looks great. And I love Lundgren's look in the costume. But as a character, he is so bland. And Skeletor is so colorful and animated. And and, and Langella delivers that dialogue with so much deliciousness. Like, you almost needed someone that's that good of a character presence on the opposing side. And I think, I think the movie hurts for it because you're almost just like, you just want Skeletor to win. <laughs> like, you're just like, yeah, fuck it. Like would get, but he, like, I yeah, he definitely overshadows, uh, he man, way overshadows um, a good, 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 good description of it. Cause that's, I was, I was trying to eat my words there, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, the performance is superb. I mean, every line is spoken with such conviction, such relish. I mean, when Skeletor says, you know, I have waited so very long for this moment, you really believe that he has waited so very long for this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps every time he says that. <laughs> so anyway, like even the little details, like the way in which he curls his fingers one by one around his staff, you can just tell that Langella is just having the time of his life in this role. So, I mean... That is probably the crowning achievement of this film in particular is 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 that performance. It's the and I think only they thing, knew that. It's the only thing, that. to be 100% honest, it's the only thing that saves this movie. Because every time the film goes back to him, it's worth watching, in my opinion. Like... For the most part, like we talked about, we talked about Tila and Man at Arms, who are just 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 very very one note bland characters. He Man even doesn't get a whole lot to do. Courtney Cox is just kind of generic American teenager. Kevin is a fucking terrible character. Detective Lubick is horrible. Holy fuck! No, I wanted to get punch out that of dude here. in the fucking face every time he was on screen. I hated get that out fucking of here. character. It's it's, it's, it's James Mister Strickland Tolkien. 
As the bulldog detective, Lubick, you can't, you fucking can't terrible. hate on... Terrible performance, no. terrible fucking character all <laughs> Dude, around. Get the utterly fuck out of here. This dude's, this dude's apparently never seen Back to the Future before. Mr. Strickland's amazing. He's perfect in this movie. Reprehensible. No, wrong. Get the next, fuck out next. of here. He should have been... He was probably the dude that was fucking like cleaning up the shitter, and they just tossed him in the movie because they needed an extra fucking body and gave him Dude, dialogue. James Tolkien's been in plenty of notable movies and plenty of performances terrible in all of those too because he was fucking terrible in this movie have you never seen back to the future have you never seen back to the future who the fuck okay then shut the fuck up back to the fucking future (laughs) everyone that's ever seen back to the fucking future every (laughs) single person that's ever seen that movie everybody remembers fucking marty mcfly and doc brown and back to the future nobody remembers this fucking dude factually wrong factually wrong this fucking it's fucking dude. james tolkien terrible he's been in so many fucking movies terrible oh my god terrible. watch more movies i'd rather drive a screwdriver into my fucking ball sack than watch this dude give a fucking acting quote-unquote acting performance ever again fucking in a canon terrible. movie called masters of the universe holy fuck i wish he would have eaten that fucking shotgun he was fucking shooting at one point in the fucking movie nick no one takes pot shots at lubick i do because wow. he doesn't know who he is. Is that a line of it's dialogue okay. in the movie? It's I, a line of dialogue I in the movie. I probably forgot that. That's fine. It's all so, good. Anyway. Fucking terrible. Um, I hated it. I hated it. He was even worse than that little fucking troll thing. Dude, again, for the 15th time, the character's name is Gwildor. You can speak the name of the character. I can send it to you and how to pronounce it if you want I don't you want, want you to, to send it to me because that little fucking thing... The prosthetics and shit were so fucking bad. It sounded like he had shit in his mouth half the time he was delivering dialogue. He was delivering dialogue like this. (laughs) Fucking terrible. This week in epic film history. Uh, give, give us your best crocodile Dundee at least. Best, Come on. My best, my best crocodile Dundee. Oh, look at here. We've got a beautiful saltwater crocodile. That's Crocodile Hunter. He's doing Crocodile Hunter. That's Crocodile Hunter, not Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee is. Oh my god. That's not a nine. Yeah, that's a nine. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody, oh give me. Lord. I gotta come see on, give me your best sense. That's not enough. Out Dundee guys, come on. Oh, so you played knifey spoony before? Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Oh. Throw another shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> uh, to be Australian, you just gotta talk like Mr. Sunday Movies. That's what everyone's exposure to Australia is anymore. Nick, Sorry. if you had to pick any one movie as your favorite movie, what is it? Anything with walking. About Schmidt. <laughs> Ouch. I want that to be true. So I bad. loved how fast he answered that. That's about how fucking that sure was, he was. The, yeah, he had that Deer in Dugu. It is, it is my favorite movie of all time. Are you, it are is. you serious? Wow. I am. Yeah, it, 100%. No, wait, oh, wow. it, clearly, 
it's because of the tits, right? Absolutely. <laughs> fucking, fucking Kathy Bates in a hot tub. Hub, Just hub, loving hub, Kathy hub. Bates tits floating on top of hot tub water. <laughs> you guys are getting... I'm getting a chub here just thinking about it. Come on, stop. It scarred me more than the boobs in The Shining. It is. It's, it's one of those movies, and everybody has this movie. Everybody has this kind of film where it just speaks to you. Right. You know, it, it just it connects with you on some level, like in your own life with your own personal experiences, where it really just kind of speaks to what defines you as a person or what you think defines right. you as a person. And that's this kind of movie to me. Like, I get to the end of that movie and you know he's married his daughter off and he's alone his wife's dead he has nobody anything in his life and he's at just kind of this broken place and he's like you know i'm gonna die soon and once i'm dead and everybody that knows me is dead it'll be like i never existed and i haven't made any kind of a difference in my life whatsoever you know and and to me in in my life that's what i strive to do i always strive to make a difference. I always strive to just try to make people happy, to try to make an impact in as many lives as I can. And then he gets the letter from the little kid that he sponsors and just he draws that picture of him, the little, you know, crayon picture holding his hand and, and Jack Nicholson with an amazing performance in that film, you know, just fucking breaks down at the end of the film because that's when he realizes that he has made a difference in somebody's life. You know, and that's it, it just speaks to me. Gosh, I think it that's just does. Incredibly poignant. Nick, I'm shocked I, that we just everybody has that kind we of were movie. having before to Nick's beautiful portrayal about Schmidt because yeah. I never looked yeah. at it that way. In five, four, three, two. Don't put shit down and make fucking noise when I'm trying to do the fucking counting or do any of that belching shit. I'm tired of it. I reckon I'll fire really- you. Is this I'll fire you right now, and I'll hire the Lisp. The Lisp is full-time co-host of this show. You're kicked off. Get the fuck out. That's fine. Yeah, you at least have to pay for his alcohol. uh, I don't want to pay for his alcohol. That's that's a lot of fucking money. I'm going to have to start pulling in extra. I'm going to get a second job or some shit. We need more sponsors. Sponsors, we need alcohol for the Lisp. I figure about uh, 250 a week ought to sate him. That's enough to get him blackout drunk at the gay bar at least four nights out of the week. Yeah, but I hear he likes going to straight bars because he likes to have a challenge. Oh, well, hey. So he's coming. Coming everywhere. <laughs> he saw a tight asshole and he came <laughs> I have a few questions that I'd like to ask. Is it about the cosmic key? Because I still don't know how it works. Um... Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> just I'd just like to run down a list of questions that I had th- throughout the film. Um, speaking of Gwildor, how does he know how to drive a car? Why is there a random cow? He's an ro- inventor. Why is there a random cow roaming around in the forest? Because it's near a farm. I guess, I mean... And it got I, out. I guess we're I guess we're meant to assume it wandered off from a nearby farm, but you don't you don't you don't see cows usually. I've, I've driven roaming I've driven free to, in the yeah, California suburbs. I've seen cows walking free when they've gotten out of their fence. Why does so, Ke- Why does Kevin put a Burger King meal and oranges in the sink? In at the one sink? Point? Okay, I can't answer that one. I don't know. As soon as I dude, as soon as I was watching that, and Danielle was like, "That goes in the trash." Why would you, why would you put, you don't put it in there and she was getting mad and I'm like, I wouldn't do that. I know better than that even. 
Is that the only product placement other than the H&R Block shot in the movie? I think it is. I think those are the only two things of product placement in the entire movie. There must be product placement elsewhere, but I didn't. I, I can't remember any. Specific I think they should instances. have put more product placement in it because they would have gotten more fucking money. They <laughs> want to actually make the movie better. Yeah. Um. Why does Tila react with such disgust when she realizes that they're eating ribs? That was the weirdest pull in this movie. They, like all of a sudden, it was like she's like, "This is such a barbaric world." I'm like, "What?" Did they I not took have that as I took not, that as they don't eat meat on Eternia. I mean, well, obviously, so what are they, pretty simple. Yeah, what do they eat? That it's <sighs> go away. I'm muting his microphone. <laughs> is there is there is there going to be a scene where they're going to be like eating a fucking dinner? I mean, no. We know He Man gets gains from something. It's just probably the weirdest like chewing on some because organic like her dad, protein. Man at Arms, is just sitting there like just chowing down, and and she's like horrified by it like they're barbaric or whatever but it's like but her dad is clearly just gnawing away like it's it, it's it's based on his line of it's an animal we you know i ate it during such and such or whatever during a war or whatever i'm led to assume lois to answer your very extremely convoluted question that they don't eat meat on Eternia currently at that point in time. Maybe maybe the game changers got sent to them now in how the future dare and they you all watch a it convoluted and said, question about masters of the universe. <laughs> uh also, why is the movie full of such weirdo dialogue? Like uh, when they first land on Earth, Tila says, uh, trust a Thenarian to find a soft place to land. Like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> well, Gildor's a Thenarian and Yeah. I don't I don't know what that means though. But like who wrote that and why is it in the movie? I'm it's sure like, I could get you I'm sure I could get you the email address of the writer. Listen, and you could email him and you could ask him. But like we're gonna believe that the writer of this movie actually has internet and an email address in the shack. No, that they there's live three in the there, there's the three writers. Gary but, Goddard did some rewrites on the script but like, as well. But. A lot of it, especially a lot of it surrounding Gwildor, the little fucking stupid troll thing, is like there a you lot go. of it you was literally punched there in there. Go. A lot of it was deliberately, you could tell somebody went through and just did a little punch up to try to just give like all this like childish humor, like injections into the movie. Like that's literally. He's like, he's like, like, he's like the Jar Jar of the movie. It's, it's, he's there it's for the children. And it's just as bad. It's just as bad, and it's just as especially when, especially when the the Gwildor thing does jokes and shit, and then everybody laughs on screen at it. All of the like, characters it, like laugh. They're he, like, "Oh, Gwildor!" Even He Man laughs. He should. He Man should not be laughing it's at such absurd. nonsense. Even though, if you watch the cartoon, He Man laughs a lot on the cartoon. So Mattel wanted him to that be He-Man joyful has more in the film. Than this one does though. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, he does. He does. He's also a homosexual for sure. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, speaking of homosexuality, there's that very sensual and erotic scene later on where He-Man is captured and whipped. That's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, we might as well talk about the end, end of the movie. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reference some small details that I loved when we wrap up. But the ending of the movie. So I already knew Nick was going to get to this. He wants to trash the, the end scene and the end fight and everything. For those that know the story behind this movie, they know that Canon came in one day and said, you're done. There's no more money for this movie. And the movie was not finished. 
So what happened? Oh shit! Was, we done run out of money. <laughs> yes, they ran out of money. They they said you can't shoot anything. You're done. So director Gary Goddard used his own money to pay the crew. Dolph was still on set. Dolph agreed to be there, and uh, Skeletor's his sword double. Uh, the guy that played Blade, Anthony DeLongis, was also like the stunt performer on the movie and the, the fight choreographer. He came in and he he donned the gold Skeletor costume to do the sword fight. And apparently awesome, they had the one, one, one night to do it. And that's why it's all in the dark. And it looks fucking like they're not doing anything. So the whole set that was created that you see, the, the set for Castle Grayskull was built specifically for sword fighting because it was in the script that they were going to have this huge sword fight at the end of the movie. Didn't happen. The movie was shut down. So what you see that lackluster, like literally I'm pretty sure I counted it like minute and a half sword fight between Skeletor and He-Man. And then He-Man wins uh, was done when the movie was not even in production. It was done by then. So that's why there's no huge, awesome epic battle at the end of the film. They literally took like a skeleton crew uh, and just haphazardly shot that scene because they, they took were literally a skeletor crew. Ah, waka, 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 waka. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, no, it's anyway, bad. it's 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 a really, really it, it, and so the I, problem with it is, yeah. is the fight choreography is incredibly slow. Like you could speed this up and watch it at like two times speed and it would probably still look too slow. Like that's how like egregiously slow it is. So, I mean, that makes sense contextually, but to counter that, and I know this is a way bigger budget example with a way more talented filmmaker, but you take like a, a Quentin Tarantino in Kill Bill when that was running way over budget. <laughs> you even going to bring a Tarantino what thing I'm into saying, this? What I'm saying is, is, is he wanted to have a massive showdown between the bride and Bill on a beach at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2 and the Weinsteins came along and they said, no, Quentin, this movie is fucking going way too long. You're spending way too much money. Wrap it the fuck up. So that's when he wrote in that five finger fucking punch, whatever, that fucking five finger the, death, the death touch, touch thing. The death touch, you come, yeah. The yeah. point I'm trying to make, and I'm trying to bring it back around to it, is you come up with a clever way to write around it to make up for those limitations. You don't shoot the slowest, I mean, literally you, you might as well have had two 80-year-old men swinging canes at each other. It was so fucking slow. It was just it was just cringeworthy to fucking watch. It just, it was not entertaining at all. And especially it feels like you have a, an amazing like I think the gun battle and like the big fight that they have like with all the gray skull forces and like that whole action set piece after like the the good guys teleport back to Castle Gray Skull at the end of the movie that's great like that whole thing is great and it just kind of is really underwhelming and let down at the end of of, of with that with that stupid sword fight it's just it, it's like a wet fart at I, the I, end I, of like I agree that I agree that it, it's not thing. what it should have been what it needed to be was an amazing, awesome sword fight that would, you know, compare to anything you had seen in any other fantasy film up until that point, like an Excalibur or a Krull or a Star Wars or anything. But that, that wasn't there. And it's exactly what the film needed. But it didn't happen again. It's a canon movie. And we all know the reasons now why that ended up happening. You know, when I watched this film, um, 
I, I guess I was old, uh, an older child when I watched this film. But I, you know what? It brought me back to playing with action figures as a kid, or like when my cousin and I would go outside and and we would have the plastic lightsabers and we would pretend we were dueling or we, we were in a Star Wars film. We would pretend, and that's what that end fight scene reminds me of. That's why I call this film adorable because it has the ambition to ha- to have that confrontation at the end between Skeletor and He-Man be this epic showdown, this e- epic final battle. It's very much not that, but there was an attempt. So I'm going to I'm going to take a little gold star sticker and I'm going to I'm going to put it right on the movie. Um and I'm going to say go home and tell your mom and she'll uh draw her a picture and she'll put it on the fridge like that's how i view this movie um it brings me back to a time in my childhood when you know it was it was me and my cousin in the backyard swinging plastic lightsabers at each other and that's why i find this immensely charming and also how do you not get chills when he-man lifts the sword over his head and says i have the power it's amazing (laughs) Like, like that moment for me still as an adult goosebumps up my fucking back I understand what this movie was made for. And even for those kids that it was made for, it wasn't made very well. I definitely understand that. But even in retrospect, I still appreciate it. And yes, Nick, a lot of it is nostalgia, which I'm openly admitting here, especially in the case of Masters of the Universe. But I don't think the movie's a piece of shit. I also think that it's one of the better made canon movies. I think it's one of the better looking canon movies. A lot of the effects still hold up, as you said, and it still has one centerpiece performance that really makes it memorable. I like it better than the cartoon, and I know a lot of fans that listen to this show that love the cartoon are going to probably come out and fucking want to, you know, burn me at the stake. Even more so than Nick saying Mr. Strickland sucks. They're probably going to want to burn me for saying the cartoon sucks. But I mean, overall, this, this was my Masters of the Universe that this is what I grew up on was this. And that's why it's always going to be one of my childhood classics that I watch I, every year. And and the thing is like the script itself is kind of, kind of competent. Like all of the pieces are there. It has all the elements you need in a movie like this. It has the MacGuffin of the cosmic key. It has a ticking time element for things to be set right before something bad happens. It has a cast of characters all working together to accomplish a goal. The problem is there's no stakes on Earth. Uh, and that's where, I mean, that's where a majority of the movie takes place, which is unfortunate. But you get the sense, like, there's hardly any extras around. There's practically no one, like, in the streets or you don't see people. Like, how awesome would it have been? Because I love the shot of all the troops coming in from Eternia through the Cosmic Key portal. Very and, impressive shot. Very impressive shot. Yeah. And that awesome craft aircraft or whatever it is that Skeletor is on like it's very his impo- hovercraft hovercraft it's very his giant in- airboat <laughs> it's essentially an airboat yes it is an airboat yeah but that is a super imposing shot how awesome would it have been if there were people screaming and running from it and Skeletor was like trying to like trying to blast humans with his lightning abilities that he I guess he acquired at some point the purple lightning um but well, see, like that would have been cool. Okay. The streets are completely barren. There's no one. Yeah. So okay. So we, we we talked about this when we talked about Kickboxer as well. And what was the biggest problem that we had with the final fight in Kickboxer? 
It's that all of a sudden, at a certain point in the movie, the villain just straight up just forgets like how to fight. Or he anything. gives up. Yeah, he gives up. Like randomly. you have you have Skeletor in this movie, who number one just basically decides he's not going to do anything for the whole movie anyway. Like he's he leaves it all to all of his different underlings and whatever to do all the different stuff in his movie. But then like. You, when you, the henchmen when you are have, all wasted, by the way. When you have the opportunity for a Skeletor in this movie to flex that muscle, quote-unquote, magical muscle, he's got all these magical powers and stuff, when it, all of a sudden it comes time to fight He-Man and whatnot, he just kind of just just doesn't use any magic powers. Like, it's like... They swing swords at each other. Yeah, it's like, like this, he, like, disintegrates people, like, just shooting power beams at them and stuff. Like, it's like, like, and I get it, it's the limitations, don't you dare lean into your microphone and say it's a canon movie, Justin, or I will choke you with your ball sack. Well, it's not that, it's the same thing you could say of Darth Vader fighting Luke Skywalker. It's just all of a sudden, he just... He could could throw him up, you know? He just forgets to... Like it, it just the movie nerfs the bad guy, you know. Instead of just instead of making it an even fight, or instead of making it a good fight in which the good guy triumphs, it just it has to like it makes the bad guy really powerful, but then it immediately like nerfs him in order to get the good guy. It's like it's the same thing that happens in Kickboxer. Like all of a sudden, like in Kickboxer, that's the same thing that happens. Like the guy just forgets how to fight and just stands there and lets Van Damme beat the shit out of him. That's basically the same thing that happens in this movie. Nick, what did you think of the post credit scene? There was a post credit scene. I didn't even know. (laughs) You didn't even watch through the credits. I didn't even know. Yeah. So this is Masters of the Universe was doing the, Sequel baiting way before Marvel made it popular. I, the first time ever, apparently, this was because when you get all the way to the end of the movie, the last credit ends, and then Skeletor comes out of the fucking water, and he says, he turns to the camera directly and he says, "Justin, okay. I've already recited the entire fucking movie. Go <laughs> ahead." He looks at the camera and he says, "I'll be back," and. And the sequel was never made. I wish you would have looked at the camera and said, Gwildor's a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> a sequel was written. They were they were confident enough in Masters of the Universe that they went f- forward with a script treatment for a sequel. I wish or this not even a treatment, had, an actual like, script. I wish this but, would have gone to a, a, a better studio with a better budget. I, I really like. I really felt like there was potential in this when I was watching it. I really felt that potential, but I just felt like there were too many limitations as I was watching it that held it back. And I, I mean, also that's, that's just kind of the thing that kills it for me. I don't disagree with it from, from your perspective. I think you're wrong about a few things here, but overall I I can see where you're coming from. If the movie had a little bit of a bigger budget, maybe 15 or more million. And also if Canon actually promoted it better, if it had a better marketing budget, this could have been a lot bigger. I mean, it had good TV spots. The trailer was very good. But a lot of fans, as I've, I've already heard from many different commentaries on the Internet and the, the different documentaries I've seen made, fans at the time saw the trailer and said, where's Orko? Where's Battle Cat? Where's this? Why isn't it on Eternia? What, where's all? The, where's Shiro? Where's all these other things that we grew up loving that are part of the cartoon? They kind of removed that. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to discuss here when we have the Curious Quartet. We've got characters like Blade, Sorod, and, and, and Karg. And the only one out of that group that's actually from the cartoon is Beast Man. 
you know, I like all of the, I think that Sorod's one of the most interesting looking characters in the entire movie. He's like a lizard man covered in fucking armor and you Skeletor kills him off like halfway through the movie. Yeah. I'm like, why would you kill off, you know, that you've got cool creatures. You got that the idea was Tina to bring a Turner looking motherfucker with the like the giant <laughs> fucking white fro. And- <laughs> That's Karg. Yeah, like, dude. No, I love he's supposed to be ah. a bat like creature. I don't know. But, um, you know, I just got to give props to where they're due here because when you listen to the people that made this movie talk about how they made this movie, especially, you know, William Stout, who did the, the costume design and the production design. He also built the 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 whole uh, set for them. They were, they were supposed to be, the, you know, the Castle Grayskull set they were supposed to be sword fighting on. He's also the man, Loisos, that designed the wonderful Tar Man from Return of the Living Dead. Iconic. When you hear him talk about how this movie was made and all the effort that he put into it and how frustrating it was, he's like, you know, basically like, well, I was used to it by that point. I worked for Canon when this movie was made at the time this movie was made. Warner Brothers had six movies in production. Canon had over fucking 80 movies in production at the time this was made. Legit, legit. So. You understand. I feel like that was situation. like Golden Globus, like standing in a big warehouse and like just handing a five dollar bill to every creative team. And be like, here's your budget. And here's your budget. And here's quite literally, budget. Nick, quite literally. And it was it was it was about a million dollars each. But yes, quite literally, that's what they would do. Here's a million dollars. Go make a movie. <laughs> oh, and none of them ever recouped. So there it is. I get that. I, I, like I, said, I get why forever. you love, love this like film, like watching it with nostalgia, watching it as a kid you know, bringing those elements into it. Like, I get why people would love this movie, like watching it from that perspective. I just, I, you're watching it like as me for the first time as a 40 year old man, like almost like it just, it doesn't play the same way. I can respect the things that I think are good about it, but there's some fucking, there just God all fellow elements in this film. Like I said, this, like some of the characters are just fucking, it, especially like once they get to earth, like, ugh, God in heaven. Like and, and you, like you could have even made that little troll thing. Like you could have even made it like an a, an interesting, entertaining character. But they basically just use it to shoehorn in bad jokes. Like they literally will stop everything wholesale to have it come out of the crowd and make some stupid quippy comment, and then have Isn't every that character like in most the movie kids movies laugh at. It. There it is. Like yeah, th- there it is. That's, that's the, the fucking, 80s for you. Like that's the that's the thing about it to me. So this this is not even anywhere. I I man, I still think that probably like Avenging Force is like probably probably like <laughs> that's the high water mark that what, we're what, reaching like one for of those here. high water marks up here. Like like between that and Cobra, like those are the two that are that are like up here. Like this this falls down to the echelon of it's not as bad as Invaders from Mars. It's nowhere near that bad. Nothing could be as bad as I that. mean yeah. Oof. There were no scenes of, you know, somebody throwing random, you know, pool noodles off Silly the, string, the side yeah. of the fucking camera at, at He-Man. <laughs> it's, just, it's a, you know what, it's a perfectly it's digestible. It's well it's a per- Yeah, it's a perfectly digestible slice of 80s cheese. It is, the, you know, the film's ambition is hindered by its budgetary limitations. Uh, but... It, it, as I said, it's just a, so adorable to watch canon really try. This was supposed to be their would-be Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was their would-be Star Wars. And so it was really their attempt to pull out all the stops and deliver, you know, this crowd-pleasing piece of pop entertainment that was supposed to recoup all of the insane amount of losses that they had, uh, you know, accrued. Uh, and the movie obviously did not reach the heights that they wanted to yeah. or were expecting to. Um, but 
I've watched Masters of the Universe many times, and there's a quaint charm to it. And I'm not, I'm probably not done watching it. I probably will watch it, you know, many times yet to come. So, gentlemen, we, we just talked about Masters of the Universe uh, for like an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> is there any more that can be said about Masters of the Universe? Yeah, there is plenty, but sucks. <laughs> there's plenty, but. <laughs> to benefit the two of you and our listeners, I will be quiet. I will bite my tongue. Be quiet. I will have to say that I legitimately enjoyed the discussion between the two of you. And Nick, you were actually nowhere near as harsh on it as I thought you were going to be. Lubick you style. thought you were going to surprise me, but I knew that you were going to hate Gwildor. I fucking knew you were going to hate Gwildor. You hate anything cute that's in a movie that's there for kids. That thing is Always. not fucking cute. Every that thing time. is a goddamn horror show. It is. Well, to be fair, no wonder why all of you the makeup it, effects in this movie. Shit. <laughs> Just to be fair, that's what I'm saying. The makeup effects in this movie, like fucking Karg, Sorod, all of them, Beastman, they're all scary as shit, in my opinion. I think as a there's kid, a, like, like, like I said, there's know, a couple of them that have dialogue that, I mean, literally, it's like their dialogue is like the, the prosthetics are so bad. It's like covering their mouth <laughs> to the point where you like it's literally like it sounds like they're chewing on something trying to deliver lines of dialogue. Like that's like I mean I like I get it I get the budgetary limitations I try so hard and I forgive so much but I can only forgive so much and like I mean literally when you're listening to lines like when you're listening to dailies and like it sounds like they're fucking but I, again this is one of those things where you can't go back and shoot it again so it's like well whatever we got it in the they can they, it is what it is they literally could not shoot it again. we're not wasting money, money on fucking adr for that stupid insect looking thing like it's just gonna sound like it's got a dick in its mouth the whole time it's fine speaking of dicks in our mouths <laughs> <laughs> that was the best he said segue that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth <laughs> oh my god that i've ever heard oh Ladies and gentlemen, we love you. We uh, we really, really appreciate you listening. Rolling along with hashtag Canon Quarantine. Again, King Solomon's Minds coming up next week in Canon Quarantine. Listen, it can't be worse than Invaders from Mars. That I feel oh. like it can't be worse than that. But uh, hey, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that we'll one. We'll see, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, find us, uh, Loisos, where? find us where where do they find us you can find us you can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts apple podcast Podbean. (laughs) bazinga (laughs) oh thank you very much and you can also find us on social media on facebook twitter instagram at epic film guys and you can also join in the discussion on our fan group the hopesters dumpster facebook.com slash groups slash epic film guys that's where you can vote on every film that we feature in the hashtag canon quarantine series that's all up to you guys we put the film choices over in the dumpster you guys make the choice and let us know what you would love to see so coming up monday on the show ladies and gentlemen 20th anniversary review of gladiator i watched it again today and i forgot just how much I absolutely adore that movie. That movie is a goddamn masterclass in blockbuster filmmaking. Like the opening battle alone, I was erect for an hour straight after watching that opening <laughs> battle. 
Well, Nick, now time. there's no reason for people to tune in because they know what you have to say about it. No, the they don't. I got so much more to say about <laughs> it. But I do believe that movie's a masterpiece, so I can't wait to basically spew my load all over it the entire oh, recording. Yeah. Oh, God. You're welcome. God, hang on. Wait, we got a sound drop for that. That's a lot of cum. There it is. There it is. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we love you. Thank you so, so much for tuning into the show. Don't forget, live stream for The Cure, May 27th through the 31st, raising $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please, please, please make sure you mark your calendars. Save up some pennies, or if you really want to, if you're listening to this right now, you got the money burning a hole in your pocket right now. You got to throw it at us right now. Head over to livestreamforthecure.com and make a donation. All proceeds go directly to the Cancer Research Institute, ladies and gentlemen, for a future immune to cancer i think that's a good thing that we would all love to fight for until next time we love you thank you so so much for listening my name is nick for myself for justin for the god of podcasting ladies and gentlemen thank you so so much and for gwildor god fucking damn it thank you so so much everybody for listening until next time we Thanorians are a peaceful race. I don't like adventures. He was baiting. He was baiting for that goddamn laugh track. That's what he was doing. And we will see you at the movies. I have the power.